Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to the official Jets podcast. We are presented by WinBet. Bet is a team sport, but together at WinBet, Eric Allen and Ethan Greenberg here at One Jets Drive, joined by Leger Doosable. Where is Doos this morning? Last week was Mobile, Alabama. I got a feeling you're out on the West Coast. I am on the West Coast, EA and Ethan. I am in Sin City, Las Vegas for Super Bowl 58. Oh, man. How are people going to be able to follow you this week, man? Because you're one of the busiest guys covering the National Football League. You know, you can always find me on social, man, at Lige Doosable on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. It's L-E-G-E-R-D as in dog, O-U-Z-A-B-L-E. Um, oh, a, lot of, a lot of good content coming out this week. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I loved your post on Instagram. You're there at the Bellagio. It looked like Ocean's 12 or something like that. I thought George Clooney was going to come out of the corner. I like the TikTok plug. Not a, I feel like not a lot of people put out their TikToks, but dudes just did. I like that. I might have to start incorporating that. Got to every once in a while. <laughs> All right. Since this is a Jets podcast, I know the Kansas City Chiefs are playing the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. We'll get to that in a moment. Dudes, how did the New York Jets get to the Super Bowl in 2024? Uh, you got to build it from the inside out. And, I, you know, me and Ethan had a conversation in Mobile and just knowing Joe D's makeup, uh, he really kind of wants to rectify this offensive line. Now, to his credit, he has tried to do that. And I, I know a lot of people will scoff at that, but he's brought in multiple guys, right? He's used draft capital in that offensive line. But you got to have a, lot, a little bit of luck. And when I say luck, people have to stay healthy, right? When you look at a guy like AVT who's – struggled staying healthy these last couple of years. You look at Makai Becton, who was coming back from injury, and this was kind of like his first full year coming back. Like, they've had issues with their guys that they've taken in the first round, staying healthy. So, like, when you build up that continuity, you got to have people that are around to build the continuity, right? You, it's hard to build continuity if guys that you've picked with premium picks or in free agency, they aren't there to take reps. So, I know Joe D will look at that offensive line. Me and Ethan, we went over a few prospects. I know we'll go over it today that I think can help with that number 10 overall pick. And I actually have another scenario uh, that I, that I kind of wanted to put out there, you know, when the time is right for this podcast in regards look to at you what, I think, yeah, what, I, what I think the Jets should do. Yeah. Greens, your thoughts. Jets 7-10 and 10 this season, 7-10 and 10 for the second consecutive campaign. Obviously losing Aaron Rodgers four snaps into week one against the Buffalo Bills. So you can get Rodgers back, but what else does this team have to do not only to 
hopefully aspire to a title, but also get back to the playoffs for the first time in 13 years. Right. Well, I think outside of the offensive line, just because Dew's talked about it, I think it's been pretty well documented how the Jets want to build their team. I think a lot of people, both internally and externally, would point to wide receiver just because of the lack of production, I'd say, over the course of 17 games. And Garrett Wilson's a great player. I think that he'll be even better with Aaron Rodgers, for sure. And I know a lot of people like fans-wise, down on the year that Alan Lazard had. I think that Lazard probably would say it's not his best year. But I do think that with Aaron Rodgers in the fold, in that offense that you know that both of them know very well, I think he'll have a better season than 2023. And I think that after that, the Jets probably going to look to maybe get either a piece in the draft or two or perhaps in free agency via trade. Obviously, like there are some names out there. One of them plays – in the city where Dews is right now that I think a lot of fans are looking at. And especially with, like, I love the conspiracy theories of Garrett Wilson giving up 17 or he's yeah. two or, yeah, yes. 17 five. to 5. Thomas Moore said says he's passing the torch with Garrett Wilson in 5. So I think that there's a lot of conspiracy theories, but I think those are the two positions that the Jets will look to add at least at every point in the offseason. Dews, interesting offseason ahead for the Jets because – on the surface, you certainly can play around with contracts. We know that. But the Jets don't enter this offseason with a ton of cap space. And yeah. you got decisions ahead on guys. The list starts, I think, with Bryce Huff. We all agree with that. But then you can go back at the safety position and look at Jordan uh, Whitehead, excuse me, and Ashton Davis. He's... Also have he also has an expiring contract and how about special teams? Greg Zerline, Thomas Morstead, they had the best sure. collective kicking year in the history. Of this organization, both those guys have expiring contracts, as does special teams ace Justin Hardy. So that's where my free agency spotlight starts for the Jets, Deuce. Yeah, and then one more area you could throw in there that you didn't mention, EA, was defensive tackle. Quentin mm -hmm. Jefferson, uh, Solomon mm -hmm. Thomas, both free agents, Al Wood. So you're talking about everybody that took reps next to Quentin Williams being a free agent, right? And I put this up on Twitter the other day, I think, and me and Ethan talked about it in Mobile. Uh, Braden uh, Fist makes a lot of sense in the third round. A lot of Jet fans kind of got after me. We don't need to spend another, you know, premium pick on a defensive <laughs> tackle. And I'm like, guys, who's playing next to Quentin Williams next year? Like, there, there needs to be somebody that, that can grow with him inside. That way you just don't have an influx of defensive tackles changing out year in, year out. Now, the good thing is, even though there has been turnover there, uh, e and &E, they've actually had a good – they've had good production from that position, even though they've been able to bring in different free agents. Now, Solomon Thomas has been here a few years, a couple, a lot of one-year deals, and I look for the Jets to maybe sign him again on another, another one-year deal. I think Quentin Jefferson – It'll be interesting because he did get hurt at the end of the year, like what his market will be because he had a career year with the Jets this year. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, his market will be in the offseason. Will the Jets be able to bring him back? But I, to me, I was like, you guys are, are insane. Like, what are you talking about? Don't draft the D-tackle in the third round. I'm not saying <laughs> don't take one at the number 10 pick, but I think in the third round, it makes a lot of sense. Now, I know receiver is, is, is a big need as well, and Ethan spoke about that. Could there be a potential trade? Could they maybe get somebody in free agency after they tinker with the roster? I know Calvin Ridley's name has been put out there a bunch as well. He'll be a free agent. T. Higgins is another guy. We'll see what the Cincinnati Bengals do with him. Do they end up tagging him or not? If not, he's going to be a marquee name 
on, on the block and will the Jets be able to pony up that type of cash to get a guy like T. Higgins. But Bra- uh, Braden Fisk in the third round makes so much sense just because there's nobody technically on contract next to Quentin Williams right now. Somebody's got to play next That's to him really next good, year. That is a really <laughs> good point, and you brought up a great point about Quentin Jefferson. It seems yeah. like Robert Sala told me this earlier this year that, hey, listen – when guys join the Jets along that defensive line, they end up having a career year. <laughs> and Deuce just mentioned it before. Not only was it Quentin Jefferson having a career year, but Solomon Thomas yeah. continues to get better as well in this system. So, um, And then, obviously, we're talking about the offensive line. So three guys expiring contracts at yeah. the top of that list. That's Mackay Becton. Dwayne Brown, Billy Turner Greens. I just want to add this about Braden Fisk because Dews talked about him. We're going to get to the senior bowl. I know, but but it, it's topical. It's just that Jim Nagy said that he was the first player to get traded between yep. teams <laughs> and play because, like, the national roster got so depleted, which is the one that Jeff Albrecht coached, that Braden Fisk was practicing all week on the American team, goes to the national team, and then immediately makes a play in the game. So, yep. for what it's worth, it's just kind of a cool story there. But in terms of the Jets' offensive line, I totally agree with you and I think that for me when I think about offensive line in terms of free agency uh, and the draft specifically my biggest question is how many of these prospects in the draft are able to come in week one and be like a good offensive player um, Mm. along the line immediately because the Jets right now structurally you have a 40 year old quarterback and you have a young, young, talented core. So, like, contract-wise, you're in a pretty good spot. But that means that the window is, like, now or it's starting now. And I think that my biggest question with every prospect in the draft and is how immediate of an impact player can they become? And also, when you factor in free agency, like, I think the big-ticket guy is Tyron Smith out of the Cowboys, but he's an older player. And I feel like free agency, you pay – Adam Schefter told, said this once in an interview, like my first year working for the Jets. He said, free agency, you play, you pay A-level money to B-level talent, typically. Oh, for sure. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, there's anomalies there. Like, I think DJ Reed is an anomaly. But I think that's really where my mind is, is how do you balance getting someone that you know what they are in free agency versus a potential young player who could be really good in a couple years. Well, we're going to have time to talk about free agency here in a couple weeks, and I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse as far as the draft is concerned, but we're going to talk a lot about draft here. But before we continue, dudes, I want to get your thoughts on the offensive line in terms of the pieces that you actually can build around right now. You mentioned AVT. I think we're all in agreement that when this guy is on the field – the Jets are a different ball club. They want to find a permanent home for him. What did you see from Joe Tipman this year? And also, would you say it's an interesting decision ahead for this organization in regards to Mr. Durable, Mr. Consistency, Lankin Tomlinson? Because he's got a big cap number, and a lot of people are talking about, hey, maybe he's a possible restructure. Yeah, I think we'll start there, right? Because I think he's kind of like the key cog in free agency period because you talked about his cap number, right? And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, E, I think he restructured once already. So it'll be interesting to see him. And I think uh, when you look at CJ on the opposite side of the ball, mm. like what is done in regards to their deals because they have a massive cap number, both of these guys. Um, so I think it starts with those two guys in regards to 
tinkering the roster. And EA, you talked about it earlier, kind of alluded to it, right? Um, it's kind of like um, Monopoly, how you can, you know, mix around the cap. The only thing is those chickens do come to hatch. Like, and this is a situation where when you restructure people, like this is the situation you're in now with Lincoln and CJ, where their numbers are so big, you may have to do another restructure or figure some things out. That way you can add pieces around Aaron Rodgers to make the run to get to where I'm at right now, right? The Super Bowl, that's what it all comes down to, tinkering those numbers and figuring out, could we move a little money here? What can we do here as far as the way that the makeup of the contract, the voided years at the end of the deals? Like, how do we make this work so we could add as many pieces as possible to make this run? Because to Ethan's point, right, Aaron Rodgers is getting up there in age. You got a, a nice core young group. But the thing is, after next year, Brees Hall and Gary Wilson can technically get new deals after this season coming up, right? So, like, the window, like Ethan said, is now. So you got to figure some things out cap-wise, right? And then we talked about building pieces. ABT talked about it earlier. Like, Joe Douglas, I thought, has done an admirable job of trying to build it the right way from the inside out. He just had some bad luck with players going down, right? When you talk about Makai Becton being a first-round pick and playing for the first time this year in, in essentially almost three years, and then ABT, uh, the good thing is the Jets don't play at Mile High Stadium anymore this year. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. And then I feel for the kid, right? If I was yeah. him, kind of like even Brees Hall, like Brees Hall had to get over that and then had a monster game at Mile High this year when the Jets had to win. Uh, honestly, for ABT, it might be somewhere he needs to play there in preseason or something just to, to get over that mental hump in regards to that place being so cursed for him. But you talked about it, EA. He is a foundational piece, a guy that literally can line up on every position except for center on the offensive line. But also, to your point, I think he needs to be solidified at one spot, whether it's right tackle or, or guard. Like, they need to just lock him in and not move him around, even though he can do that. And Joe Tittman, man, yeah, I remember we were talking about it in camp, and it seemed like they were going to be content on making him kind of like that swing guy, the backup center guy. But then this kid just took off, EA. And I always thought he was a perfect fit for this system because when you look at him and some of the other centers that came out in the draft last year, um, John Michael Smith comes to mind. Uh, I know I was a little bit higher on Smith just because of the dog mentality. But the athletic ability of Joe Tittman and his ability to get to the second level in some of the zone scheme runs, and then also his ability to, in pass pro, I think is what really stood out this year. Like, I'm not even sure. I don't even know if he gave up a sack or maybe just won this whole season. That is ridiculous for a rookie center to come in and have that type of production from the get-go when he was, you know, put into the starting lineup. So, ABT, Joe Tittman are definitely foundational pieces. Again, they got to figure out where they're going to put ABT at. Are they going to slot him in at right tackle or are they going to slot him in at guard? And then they got to figure out what they're going to do with Lincoln Tomlinson's contract but you know i think left tackle will be something they look at whether it's in the draft the number 10 pick or like ethan's talking about is is there a veteran guy that they feel comfortable you know going to get i will say keep this in mind they wouldn't got a veteran guy in dwayne brown and dwayne brown's had a hell of a career but it, it didn't bode too well for the jets in regards to him being banged up towards the end of his career 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, fellas, it's February 8th. The draft is in Detroit. Dues will certainly be there April 25th mm-hmm. through 27th, and I think Caroline Hendershot will be there representing us. What I want to ask you right now, Dues, you're going to get mad at this question. <laughs> but is it already – would you say the Jets pool, and I wrote about this yesterday, NewYorkJets.com, is one of seven possible players there at 10? Mm. And when I say one of seven – Let's start with the offensive lineman. Joe Alt from Notre Dame. We'll go to the Penn State tackle. Oh, Fashno. Yeah. yeah. Then we're going to go to the Oregon State tackle, Talise Fuaga. Then we're going to talk. Then we're going to go to three receivers Marvin Harrison, Roma Dunze, mm-hmm. and then also Malik, Malik Neighbors. Neighbors. And then yep. finally, a unicorn. This is a guy that I see as a unicorn, Brock Bowers. Do you think ultimately when we get to the draft, one of those guys, if the Jets stay at 10, will be their selection? Out of all the guys you just named? Yes. Yep. You named like 11 guys? EA, somebody's got to be there. Seven, dudes, <laughs> seven. Dudes, I named seven. <laughs> you named 11 guys, EA, somebody's got to be there. <laughs> I named seven. You have no shame, my friend. Okay, and also – uh, as a side note, do you think that all the picks leading up to the Jets will be offensive players? Oh, that's actually a good question. Because um, when you oh, look at you didn't like draft, my question? <laughs> no, I, I love your question. Yeah, I do believe one, maybe even two players could potentially still be there. The thing is, you didn't name the quarterbacks, and we know there's going to be a. Well, run I didn't name the maybe. quarterbacks because they're off no. the table for the Jets. I'm saying one of those yeah. seven guys is going to be a Jet come April. Well, well, this is that's my point. When you do the simple math, you got to think two, maybe three quarterbacks go in the top ten, right? So if you name seven guys, one of those guys will fall to ten. Now, the question is, will it be an offensive lineman or will it be a receiver? And you have to weigh this out, and and Joe D understands this, right? When you look at your draft board, your top 50 players, right? If said said player, Roma Dunze, is number five on your list, but Fawaga is like number 13 on your list, do you – take the offensive lineman or do you take the receiver because he's so he's so much higher graded than your offensive tackle like that's something that Joe D has to weigh in and we saw this kind of play out right with the Cincinnati Bengals years ago when they decided to take Jamar Chase instead of taking Panay Sewell now it's worked out for both teams ultimately and you would hope that's what it is whether whether to just take the receiver or the offensive tackle but I believe one of those seven players will for sure be there at the number 10 pick EA. I think that it's an interesting debate. And when I was in Mobile, I was asking most people, like, including Leger, like, receiver or tackle at 10, assuming that what you just said is true. And let's just, in this hypothetical scenario, there's a tackle and a receiver both available of similar grade. Like, where do you decide mm-hmm. to go? Because I think that receivers, specifically recently, have made such an immediate impact for their teams. Like, look at Garrett Wilson. Jamar Chase is another great example. But I, I go back to uh, what a couple people said is, like, you can find a receiver later in the draft that you can yeah. 
play to their strengths and you know let's say you draft someone in the third or fourth round and you you're like all right this guy has phenomenal speed he can take the top off a of defense do you you can create a package for that guy to to get the most out of him where tackle it's rare that you find someone in days three or day two, later in day two and they immediately start and make an impact where that player if it's tackle is taking 100% of the snaps on offense where the receiver is taking just like a portion of it. So I think that that's going to be a fascinating debate. And I, I, I wonder, like we've seen it before, Joe Douglas being aggressive and getting and trading up like AVT, for example, in Correct. 2021. Like if a guy, let's say hypothetically speaking, they like Joe Alt or whoever the case right. may be, if he starts to trickle down to even eight or nine where the Chicago Bears are, do you just try to make sure you get your guy and move up, even though you don't have the draft capital that yeah. they've had in years past? Well, this is this is my hypothetical. Me and Ethan talked about this in Mobile. There's been a rumor that Joe D has an affinity for, for Fuaga from Oregon State, right? And right. I think he will be there at the number 10 pick. Um, Dude, I think is he strictly a right tackle? Is Fuaga no, strictly a right tackle? I'm glad you said it because I literally was about to, to go into my soliloquy about how I think he can be versatile. <laughs> and move inside as well. So you talk about position flexibility. I think he could be a really good guard too, but I think he starts off at right tackle. I think that's his bread and butter position. This is my hypothetical situation. I kind of teased this earlier in the show. Say you get <laughs> to the, the number 10 spot. And again, just knowing and hearing what I've heard about how Jody loves Walker. If he's there at 10, I don't really think this is a discussion. I think he does take him, but say he, he's there but you have an opportunity to pick up some draft capital, right? Uh, because this is not only a deep offensive tackle class, it's a deep receiver class. Uh, say the Jets trade back in the first round, not too far EA and Ethan, but say like pick 15, right? And they're able to gain a second round pick, maybe even a fourth round pick. A guy that I really like, Tyler Guyton. I know we, we talked about him, Ethan. And the more tape I watch, the more I'm enthused. I mean, the footwork, the athletic ability, Ethan and, and, and EA, when the player meets the athletic ability, this guy has the biggest potential out of all these tackles. And I'm here wow. to say that. Like, when, the, when the player can equal what the athlete is. And let's not forget, I think he was just a one-year starter. He hasn't played that much. So, like, he's still – but this goes back to, to Ethan's point, right? Do you have time for him to develop? Or is he one of those guys that develops actually really fast? Because at Mobile, we saw the, the aggression, right? We saw the physicality from him. We saw the athletic ability. There's some technique things that he needs to work on, and that's the concern, right? But, again, if the player matches up with the athlete, I think he has the highest ceiling out of all these offensive tackles. So taking him at, like, 15 and maybe picking up a second or fourth-round pick I think could be massive for the Jets. Now, again, it just depends on on that draft board. Where do you have Fawaga and, and Guyton ranked on that? That's what it comes down to. But I think that's a scenario that nobody's talked about. But I think it makes a lot of sense because, like you said, uh, Ethan, Rodgers is about to turn 40, right? With the young studs that we have, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, do for contracts after this year. Like, the window is now. So why not try to pick up a second or fourth round pick? Because we talked about how deep this receiver class is. Like, there's going to be a good receiver that drops to the second round. And the Jets can pick up a, a early second. It makes a lot of sense to me. Is one of the reasons you love Guyton? He's made the transition from defensive line. Tell the truth. <laughs> He's a, I mean, we're athletes. I mean, what can I say? Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, that's a really interesting scenario. I'm torn on receivers because, dudes, no offense to you, but you know what happens at home. Everybody gravitates to the football. So when people are at home doing their draft boards and reading the prognosticators talk about the draft, they're saying, oh, receiver, running back, tight end, uh, because those guys do damage with the ball in their hands. But have we seen a shift in the NFL? Because you're watching guys. Kansas City is now, after trading Tyreek Hill, is in the Super Bowl for a second consecutive season. Detroit made a run this year, and their number one receiver, St. Brown. You mentioned, I think somebody mentioned earlier, Houston and C.J. Stroud obviously making the playoffs in the rookie's first year. Who was his number one target? That was Tank Dell. I mean, we've seen yeah. a lot of receivers of late come into the league and be extremely productive, and they've been taken way outside of the first round. Yeah, and when you look at it, you talked about Tank Dell, but let's not forget Nico Collins, I think it was a fourth-round mm-hmm. pick. Yep. So, like, that's why I said I think that scenario that I brought up makes a lot of sense because, Ethan, we were talking about it, this is a deep receiver class. Now, again, there's guys that are special. Like, Roma Dunze is special, right? So that's what you have to weigh in. Like, if he's there at 10, does it make sense to take him? And then also looking at a guy like Malik Neighbors, who's a run-after-catch guy, kind of reminds me a lot of DJ Moore in Chicago. Like, he's a special guy. And obviously, Marvin Harrison, I don't think it will even be in this conversation yep. at 10 as well. Um, but then, like, there's there's guys like Jalen Pope that you maybe could get in, you know, in the second round if you're able to to make that 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 trade, right? A.D. Mitchell, right? Uh, uh, Worthy from Texas. Like, there's going to be some good receivers, like, in the second and third round. A guy that me and Ethan really loved at the Senior Bowl, uh, Roman Wilson, right? Yep. A guy that would fit really nice with Garrett Wilson. And he, he might be there in the third round. He might have helped himself in Mobile and maybe sneaks into the second. But he's a true blow-the-top-off-the-defense type of guy, and that will open up the middle of the field for Garrett Wilson. Like, there's room to take, you know, guys in the second and third round and have immediate impacts because you talked about EA, right? Tank Dell, fourth-round pick. I think Nico Collins, fourth-round pick. I mean, the mm-hmm. sun god, Amar Ross St. Brown, fourth-round pick. Like, there's room for these guys at the receiver because they're so much more developed than it was a few years ago. That's why I lean towards the offensive line. But that's why I think my scenario makes even more sense, right? Because you could pick up a quality guy, maybe even still bring in another free agent at receiver as well. Right. I think when I think about offensive line and receiver, and to your point, like there's so many receivers that have done really well as day three picks, even, you know, day two picks, but the Jets have a special wide receiver. The numbers maybe don't reflect that towards the top-tier talent in the NFL yet, and I think that's because of the unstable quarterback play in Garrett Wilson's first two years. But I think if with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, we saw a glimpse of it in the preseason, and I understand the preseason is much different. The Giants weren't really playing. A lot of their guys, the Jets wanted to play their starters, but you saw it in training camp. And I think that Garrett Wilson would be in the conversation as one of the league's top young talents if he plays 17 games with Aaron Rodgers. So furthermore, like, you're telling me that Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, and Marvin Harrison, who I agree will not be in the conversation at 10 because they'll be off the board. Like, I don't know if the Jets necessarily need another special young receiver talent where if you really believe in what you have in Garrett Wilson, you can get someone like Roman Wilson and a couple of these guys, even who are at the Senior Bowl, like Ricky Pearsall had a good week from Florida. 
and Lad McConkey, who's on not Jeff Ulbricht's team, but the American team, he had a good week. And I think that there are a lot of options for the Jets if they somehow are able to select on day two, if they're able to select on day three, even free agency, if they sign someone who's just like a veteran, stable receiver who maybe won't break the bank. I think the Jets receiving core will be in a very good spot. Where do you stand on Bowers, both of you guys? Because uh, he obviously was the most productive receiver on that Georgia offense. Um, We've seen a lot of teams of late. We're going to watch Kittle here on Sunday and Kelsey in the Super Bowl. Where do you stand on a guy like Bowers who potentially could be sitting there at 10? Yeah, I mean, I like his game a lot. The question for me is – in the era where, you know, teams are going 11 personnel, what three wide receivers, and we see in Jacksonville with Evan Ingram, essentially that's a four wide set with them. I think that's how he's going to be used, right? He's not a traditional, like, wide tight end that's going to put his hand in the dirt and dig you out. Now, he does compete, right? He competes at blocking, but he's not a George Kittle where he's going to just, you know, run you into the dirt. My thing is, when you talk about positional value, do you take him that high in the draft? Now, if you think he's going to be special, Right, a, a guy that's going to be a consummate 800 plus yard, you know, tight end. Maybe you do take him that high, right? I know a lot of mock drafts have him going in the top 10. It'll be interesting to see where they put him on, you know, the positional value ranking chart in regards to their top 50 for each team and people that need playmakers. Because we see now in today's game with the Kelseys and, and, and the Kittles and the David and Joku's, like guys that can really take the top off the defense down the seam and have that mismatch between linebackers and safeties, there's a there's a high value for those guys, right? Like David Njoku was a, a first-round pick. Um, but, you know, they, Kittle was a fifth-round pick. I think Kelsey was a third-round pick. So it'll be interesting to see how teams really value Brock Bowers. Um, I honestly don't think he's going to go top 10, to, to be honest with you. I think he'll okay. go middle of the first round. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think I'm split. Because like Doosable said, like that, I keep coming back to the positional value. Like I think of T.J. Hawkinson as a first, or a top ten pick, and Kyle Pitts obviously is dealing with quarterback yeah. play in Atlanta. But like those are top ten picks, and at the time people were like, Kyle Pitts is a unicorn, and he is a unicorn. Yeah. He just hasn't played to that level yet. I don't think. I think the potential's there. And for the Jets, it's like you have good tight ends. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good point. It's a, it'd probably be a luxury pick for the Jets, right? Because oh, for sure. <laughs> Tyler Conklin's coming off his best career year in the Jets, rightfully so, are very high in Jeremy Rucker as well. Yeah, and I think that the ceiling for someone like Tyler Conklin with a guy like Aaron Rodgers in the fold, like I think that with Aaron Rodgers under center, I think Conklin's numbers would have been more impressive. And you just said he had a career year. So that that's kind of why I'm split. I understand that Brock Bowers might be a unicorn. I just think if I were to like power rank the positional value for the Jets, I'd probably go offensive tackle, wide receiver, and then Bowers. Mm. Well, I always say don't sleep on Kenny Yaboa, too, because this staff loves him, and he, he played towards the end of the year when he came back from injury. I, I just don't think that's a need right now for the Jets because uh, they still mm. have uh, young Koontz, too, that they drafted late <laughs> in the draft last year as well. So, I mean, they're, they're deep at the tight end position as well. And I like I would be – I think that's more – more than a luxury pick. I, like I said, I, to me, to Ethan's point, I think it's offensive tackle or, or lineman, period, receiver. And then, honestly, D-tackle and safety are, like, the, the, the major needs for this Jets team. Like, tight end would be, like like you said, a, a luxury pick. But people said that Will McDonald was a luxury pick, but that may not be so much true when you, you maybe lose Bryce up this offseason. So, uh, we'll see how that plays out. 
Can I throw a wrench in here? Uh, uh, Is it going to be an Allen wrench? Uh, it could be an Allen <laughs> wrench. But I, I'm curious both of your perspectives on this. ABT, after, like on baggy day, said that he's going to watch the film and decide if he feels comfortable playing tackle or guard. If, hypothetically speaking, he comes back after reviewing the film and he goes to Joe D and he goes to Robert Sala and he says, like, hey, guys, you know what? Like, I think it makes most sense for me financially and based on my play to play tackle. Does that change the way you like your outlook on the entire draft process, free agency, and how that crystallizes? Because if you knew that ABT wanted to play tackle, whether that's left or right, I think that it would obviously fill up a hole, but there's still the question with the injuries the past two years. So that yeah. I just think that's an interesting thing not a lot of people talk about. I, I don't think it changes just because they, they most likely are going to have two new starting tackles this year either way. So, like, mm -hmm. and we talked about Fuwaga and his position flexibility. Uh, a lot of people think he's going to be a really good guard, too. So I think Joe would still have an affinity to take him at 10, even if ABT said he's going to play right tackle. They would just move Fawaga to guard, but but then again, you're still probably looking to find somebody to play left tackle. Now, I love what I saw from Carter Warren uh, down the back stretch. I think he could be a real, you know, nice piece on the offensive line. Could he be the potential answer at left tackle? Only time will tell. But I think at worst, he could be the third, the swing tackle for sure, nice. because I love what I saw from him. But I think they still have to address getting another offensive line, whether it's a, a top tier one or a stable one in free agency or, or one at the number 10 pick overall, even if ABT decides he wants to play tackle. Here, here's my thing. When I look at these teams, I say the Jets aren't that far away. It feels like they are, <laughs> and they have to get to the playoffs. We understand that. But, Deuce, you're talking about two teams that have good defenses, I would argue, which is interesting as far as the growth or the evolution of a team and organization, Kansas City's got a better defense than San Francisco for my money. That's the way yeah. I view it right now. That's 100% true. But the Jets, their defense with either one of these clubs, you could say the Jets are better. They're at least on par with Kansas City, but yeah. I, I, would say, I would say they're better. Now, offensively, they have two young stars in Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. They're yeah. getting a 40-year-old, soon-to-be 41-year-old <laughs> quarterback back in the lineup. That's Aaron Rodgers. We know they have to address the offensive line, 13 different combinations last season, and we know they have to continue to tinker um, with the skill positions. Specifically, you're talking about receiver. But with that being said, if it was any other club heading into the offseason, I think there would be a lot more positivity about this organization. But since it is the Jets, since yeah. they don't have the track record, since they have not been to the postseason since 2010, the hate and the dark cloud is on top of them right now. Yeah, I think the, the dark cloud and the connotation of what happened to Rodgers after four plays kind of weighs in on you know, why people, even fans, feel the way they do right now, currently in the offseason, because there was so much excitement, EA, so much excitement. Uh, you knew you had a championship-type defense. Everybody thought the Jets were just one quarterback away. And, and sometimes in life, you get humbled quickly. And it's not even just the Aaron Rodgers injury, right, because we kind of learned that the, the offensive roles on the offensive line, more specifically, 
were a lot worse than what a lot of people thought going into the season. I, I remember, you know, EAS being out there in Carolina, and I was like, you know, this this offensive line to get it together. You know, Brian Burns is one of the top, you know, edge guys in the league. Yep. And, you know, when he's coming off the edge and, you know, their defensive tackle having a brain fart right now, um, he's a Pro Bowl guy too. Um, so I could see why they would struggle. And then, you know, they were tinkering with the offensive line. We, we kept talking about it. I think Aaron Rodgers came out and said, you know, I'm having patience right now, but I'm eventually need to know who my starting five was. And I, I think, you know, when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, a lot of things can get covered up, right? And I think that's something that the Jets literally have to figure out. And like I said, Joe D has thrown – he's thrown darts at the dartboard, right, in regards to trying to fix the offensive line. Um, they've just had really bad luck with injuries. So, like, when you have injuries – and you talked about it in 13 different combinations, EA, it's hard to build that continuity when you have that many different offensive linemen start on offensive line. Like, everybody's on a rope, right? And then one, one piece gets, like, taken off. It's almost like being – like, getting the cut in the rope, right? It's not going to be as strong when you, you know, keep cutting into the rope every other week when somebody new is going into the lineup. So I think first and foremost, durability is a big thing for the Jets. And the thing is, it's not a crystal ball. You don't know who's going to stay healthy and who's not going to stay healthy, EA. Uh, that's the that's the dice you roll when you draft somebody or you pick somebody in free agency. So I, I just think with the excitement that there was around the Jets, when you talk about hard knocks and, and everything else um, the Jets had going on this offseason, I just think people are more cautious and people are always going to be pessimistic. That's just the way of the world, right? When something doesn't go right the first time, they're going to be pessimistic about it going forward. So if I'm the Jets, I love being in that position. I, I love that everybody is counting us out. Like, I think that's great because I think there were so many people crowning the Jets last year. Like you said, EA, it, they hadn't had that success in so many years going back all the way, I think to what, 2010 um, was the last time they made the playoffs or we made the playoffs. I just think now that you have that mentality with the article coming out, everybody's against you. Like, um, I think literally, they, you know, there was a, there's always like a mantra going into the off season. Uh, it literally should be like, nobody cares, work harder. That should be the shirt this year because truly nobody cares. Like everybody's piling it onto the Jets this year, right? And that's what you should fuel yourself in the offseason heading into right. this 2024 season. Right. It, it should be inside a locker room. We have not accomplished anything yet because yeah. we collectively, collectively have not. Um, and I also think that the task is going to be harder next year as we close here. You're going to see the close of the 2023-24 season here in Las Vegas with the Chiefs and the 49ers. And, uh, by the way, we'll get picks in here in a second. But, dudes, I, I just think the AFC is loaded. I'm talking about yeah. the, the Buffalo Bills have won the division four consecutive years. Yeah. They have one of the top players in football at the quarterback position. They aren't going anywhere. They're going to have a lot of roster changes, but they aren't going anywhere. The Dolphins – are going to maintain an explosive offense, changes defensively, but they still have made the playoffs in two consecutive years under Mike McDaniel. Let's go to the AFC right. North. Three teams made the playoffs. The one team that did not make the playoffs is a club by the name of the Cincinnati Bengals. And who are they <laughs> getting Burrow. back? Joe <laughs> Burrow. We saw C.J. Stroud and yeah. the Houston Texans take an unbelievable step in year one, we'll have to see what the Colts do. They won nine games last year. I was about year. to say the Colts. Don't sleep on the Colts next year. Tre Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville, disappointing end to the season. They'll be looking to take a step forward. 
Kansas City is a dynasty. They are a modern-day dynasty right now. Denver should feel encouraged about the steps they took late in the year. And then I'll tell you what, Jim Harbaugh, I don't care if you like him or you don't. He is one of the best coaches of football in the world, and you're pairing him up with Justin Herbert. The challenge for the Jets next year will be tougher than ever. Yeah. And you didn't even mention the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. So, like, yeah. uh, it's, it's it's not going to get any easier, like you said. EA. And that's, like I said, that's what should fill them. I think Aaron Rodgers is always a big proponent of saying, like, you know, give me your doubts, right? Give me your doubts. And I think that, again, could be part of the mantra, right? Like, nobody cares. Work harder. Um, because, like, this is where everybody wanted the Jets. Right? Like I said, I told you, people are pessimistic, right? And I even, you know, said this on the podcast the other day, and this is not even throwing shade at the Giants. I just feel like in the state of New York, the, the Jets are treated like the Fab Five, and the Giants are treated like Duke, uh, <laughs> basketball team. Um, and just because, you know, and we know what, what went on this offseason with the Giants and, and, and some of their coaching staff and some of the changes. Like, if that was a Jets story, they'd still be talking about that right now, even at the Super Bowl. But, you know, that that is what it is. That's why I think this team should really – they should use that as fuel, right? Because, again, this is where people – even though they said they were rooting for the Jets, this is where they wanted the Jets right now. And this quote-unquote dysfunction, as, as people would like to say – like, this is where his players and on his coaching staff, like, this is where I want to be. Like, when nobody believes in us, right, right? Everybody thinks, you know, we're, we're the joke uh, of the town, right? Um, we believe that Aaron Rodgers, he ends up going down. There's dysfunction. Like, give me all your doubts right now. That's what I want. We're going to prove everybody wrong. We're not going to say anything. We're just going to shut up and work, and we're going to let our, you know, our talking on the field do the talking for us. I think that the one thing that I think this year in the AFC proved than anything else is that it's so unpredictable. I mean, we were talking about injuries, and I feel like we had the same conversation entering the year, like the AFC is a juggernaut. But looking at the standings, like the only team in the AFC with more than 12 wins were the Ravens at 13-4. and The Bills, 11-6. and The Dolphins, 11-6. and Like, I feel like... The Jets would have been in the mix there, and it's they so will be good. in the mix but fully healthy. It's so close. Because, it is. Because the team who was the seventh seed in the AFC is Pittsburgh, and they won 10 games. Yeah, it, it is very close. I think that's I think that's what's interesting because I would have thought that in the beginning of the year you were going to have teams at like a couple of them at the 13 or so win range. I think that you're more looking at somewhere between 9 and 11. I think that – it shows that the way that the Jets are built with their defense, and we were just talking about it how, like, I'm watching the playoffs thinking this Jets defense could compete with any of these teams. We saw it when Kansas City, I know it was a much different team in Kansas City that the Jets saw in week four compared to the one now. I'm just saying the Jets can hang with anybody because of their defense. And sure, there are a couple positions, like Leger said, defensive tackle, you'll need to replenish. But most of the players, especially the key ones, are coming back. Let's end here, Deuce. Super Bowl pick. Mm. Mm. So I would say I've been going back and forth, but I, EA, you say you follow me on Instagram. E, Ethan, I know you do too. I've been on, you know, this pick since August, right? When I predicted who would be in the Super Bowl. One of the few people that guessed it correctly, I said it would be Kansas City and the 49ers. And then you called when I shot. did my post, Very nice. yeah, when I did my post in August, I yeah. said, it was going to be bang, bang, night gang, and I'm sticking with it. I, I just think, 
I just think when you look at, you know, Christian McCaffrey, and I think this is a game that is going to be, he's going to be heavily involved in, right? I think he'll get over 30 touches this game just because, right, we've seen Kyle Shanahan be in NFL history for the wrong reasons, right? Giving up the 28-3 to lead. Now, again, was the coordinator in Atlanta. Let me preference that by saying that um, he wasn't the head coach. But then we also saw, you know, uh, three years ago when he played the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, um, 10-point fourth-quarter lead, they lost that and lost that game as well. So those were two of the, the biggest, you know, come-from-behind wins in NFL history. He was a part of both of those staffs. I just think this is a game where he really leans on them. And if, if you've seen this Chiefs defense, we talked about how good it, it good it really is. They've been susceptible to giving up the run during the regular yeah. season, gave up over five yards of carry. And I think in the playoffs, it's around four and a half. Uh, adversely, though, <laughs> the 49ers have really struggled against the run in the playoffs. They're giving up like five and a half yards of carry in the playoffs, which is up from like 4.6 during the regular season. So, um I think this is a game where both running backs could have a game. It'll be interesting to see if Steve Wilkes, will he play more match men in the back end? Because they're more of a, you know, zone covered team. But uh, they play more man coverage in, in match men uh, in zone versus the Detroit Lions. And they had some success, but they also had some luck with Josh Reynolds dropping a few passes. So mm. it'll be interesting to see. I, to me, I think Detroit has better skill position players outside of tight end, obviously, than, than the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Um, so if, if I'm Steve Wilkes, Travis Kelsey's not beating me. Isaiah Pacheco's not beating me. If Rasheed Rice goes from 160 and beats me, you have to live with that, right? But I'm not, I'm not letting Travis Kelsey get free access like the Baltimore Ravens did the first half, which I was surprised because Mike McDonald is such a really good defensive coordinator now, made a great adjustment in the second half and shut him out. Um, but it'll be interesting if this game is tight. Will the greatness of Patrick Mahomes uh, show through? I think Kyle Shanahan just gets over the hump this year and gets his first ring. I want to believe everything Dew said. And, like, in my gut, I do. Because, like, I do think that San Francisco is matched up well. And, like, if you're a fan of storylines, the revenge factor of the Super Bowl from a couple of years ago, like, I think that – Brock Purdy's playing at a different level than Jimmy G was in 2019. But yeah. I think it. I'm going to pick up where Dews ended off. If this game is tight, I think it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes and Andy yeah. Reid. And I, I think that, like, this whole season with the Chiefs, it's been like, this is not the same Chiefs team. This is Patrick Mahomes' first road game in the playoffs. Well, he goes into Buffalo, he says goodnight. He goes into Baltimore, <laughs> he says goodnight. And now it's like, okay, well, now, now let's see what what happens. And I think for those reasons, like I I go with the Chiefs, but I don't necessarily believe it. I just feel like every time Patrick Mahomes has been doubted this year specifically, the Chiefs have ended up victorious. But I would like to see, to Deuce's point, I would like to see the 49ers win the game. And I also think that the 49ers have the personnel on defense to match up with Travis Kelsey in a matchup with Isaiah Pacheco, but I also thought the Baltimore Ravens did too. So I'm torn, but I lean Kansas City. Dudes is making me doubt myself because <laughs> my, I, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm leaning Kansas City here because the Chiefs were a slight underdog at Buffalo. They found a way to get it done. They were a slight underdog at Baltimore. They found a way to get it done. They opened up a slight underdog here to San Francisco. My problem with the 49ers is defensively, I think people are thinking about them. N not you, dudes, because you're in the film every day. They're going back 
to four years ago and saying this is the same defense. It's oh, not, it's not even close. Not <laughs> even not even close. So I have a problem with what I've seen from them defensively yeah, here in, in the playoffs against both Green Bay and Detroit. And Kansas City is not a juggernaut, but I think what ultimately is going to happen is this this is a fourth quarter game, and then I lean quarterback. Mahomes over Purdy. You know, so I don't know. But for Jets fans, let's just get through the game. <laughs> and and then on to 2024. Uh, dudes, thanks so much. Don't party too hard out there in Las Vegas. We'll be watching CBS and and watching you on Instagram with all your Bellagio posts. <laughs> yeah, I can't party too hard, man. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.